Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, Executive Editor of Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. And today I'll be interviewing She Said director Maria Schrader. She Said, of course, is the film about Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey reporting the Harvey Weinstein story for the New York Times. And it's a story that, frankly, many of us uh, were completely fearful of how the countless ways Hollywood could screw it up in retelling it as a two-hour movie. And, and while you know how this story ends, the subtle and thoughtful choices of how Maria chose to tell it is just a constant pleasant surprise. I really can't think of a film this year that exceeded my expectations quite like this one. Uh, Maria is a German actress turned director who many of us uh, first started to notice or pay attention to through her work on the Netflix limited series on Orthodox. It was really interesting in this conversation to hear her talk about how both experiences, both her acting career and then also directing the true life story of Unorthodox shaped her work on She Said. Uh, She Said opened last Friday and it's playing everywhere this holiday weekend. And I hope you enjoy it and this conversation I had with Maria. I think the place where I want to start first is, um, you know, this is a, it was a well-known book it got purchased. I imagine you had to take a meeting at some point and come in and, and present your vision for this and pitch yourself as this. I'm wondering what was your initial kind of what your take on how you would do this story was? It was not like that. It wasn't like that. Okay. <laughs> 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 to my own surprise. <laughs> yeah, I met uh, the producer Didi Gardner via Zoom, of course, uh, only a couple of weeks, maybe, I don't know, maybe six weeks after Unorthodox went on air. And we had a what you call a general meeting. I had to learn all this, right? Yeah. So we talked about a lot of things, and she vaguely talked about the project. And then I went into production with the film I'm Your Man, one of the first films of being allowed to shoot during the pandemic in the first summer. And then in the upcoming winter, she sent me an email and said, look, uh, I want to send you something. Here's a script. I vaguely talked about it. Um, Can you hop on a Zoom? And then she introduced this a little more in detail, what this is about. And she said, so we looked at your work, we talked. If you want it, it's yours. (laughs) 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 I didn't have to pitch or anything. Yeah. So I guess then the thing is, you know, I, I went into this movie, watching this movie, I think there's there's certain pitfalls that a, a film like this could fall into. There's certain traps that this that every film could go wrong somewhere. But this one, um, even just going in, I was you know you're a little bit like, hmm, well, how are they going to handle this? How are they going to handle that? I'm wondering from your standpoint, and maybe just even conversations with Dee Dee and Jeremy, what are what are some of the things that were inherent challenges that you kind of knew going in with this one? that you were going to have to address or think about how to handle? I mean, every making every making movie has, has a challenge. But I'm wondering in terms of this one, you know, what are some of the concerns? I agree. I think there, there have been a lot of challenges. Um, what is so specific about it is th- it's a true story. Every character is a real person out there. There are various layers of reality. You know, New York Times for the first time opening their doors for us, Um, the depiction of a workplace like that. And then, of course, since it was clear that this is a film about the journalists, but then also, you know, these few women who courageously entrusted them and and, and shared their stories, 
how to handle that and how to open this project to multiple voices and include their voices and include also their task on their accounts and on, on, on the specific wording of it. So I think for Rebecca Lenkiewicz, who is the brilliant scriptwriter, it was kind of a juggling also, you know. She started having a dialogue with... With, with the journalists even before they started to write this book. And then <laughs> she told us, you know, she would receive like the, the, the pages of manuscripts. So I think the biggest challenge is, you know, to, to, to learn all about the details in, in all different aspects. And at one point then as a scriptwriter, but also as a filmmaker, leave that moment of decision to how to condense it, transform it into into something which is an artistic task on it, right? And uh, yeah, that, that, that was a challenge to at one point then say, okay, now from now on, after knowing all about it, after talking to so many people, I latest on set, I have to follow my instincts. I think the thing that was shocking to me when I saw it and I should add, I, I also think it's partially the magic trick that this worked, is how many scenes there are, how much is in here. I know obviously you can't get everything in, and I'm sure there are things that had to be left out. I mean, I, but I mean, it's amazing how many scenes, how many details, how much stuff. And then also then working in um, a little bit more of uh, Megan and Jody's story in the beginning, grounding us in before right. this investigation starts. It's a little bit of a magic trick, and I, this is one of the things I would want to talk to you about. Is that it doesn't? This film never feels choppy. It never feels rushed. <laughs> it does, you know. It, it never. I never feel it necessarily. But I, but even just counting the sheer number of scenes, two hundred. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I. This is a little inside baseball. When I when I go see a film, I don't take notes. But what I do like to do is just write down. Scenes. Do you know what I'm saying? So I could see where, just so I remember the order of things. Oh, so, you interesting, know, yeah. I gave up on this one. <laughs> it was like seven <laughs> pages in. I was, just, I was like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm just like, you know, just like, I was like, and it was just like, it was like on the 17th page. It was just going. And yet never did I feel rushed. Never did I feel lost in this. But I have to imagine, I mean, so let's talk about how you executed that. But I have to imagine right up top, I mean, I'm your man. How many, how many scenes was that? That was probably like a third as much as this, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was probably 90 and this was 200. You're right, yeah. And then so many conversations, right, and so many phone calls. <laughs> and I was I was asked by journalists throughout the last days, you know, how it's it's actually not an interesting work, but it it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I never I never questioned that. I think the more specific you get, the more interesting it gets. And reading reading the script, I was blown away in the first place. Uh, and, of course, this is the story, how a story came about, right? Mm. And there's a lot of things we do not know. And I did not know all the specifics about how does an NDA work. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what, what a procedure, you know, to think with all these details to be put in that kind of isolation. I didn't know all these details. And the more details I learn about it, the more the more involved I get, I think. So it's probably with every scene, I try to be very clear what this is about. What is it about? And, and to have kind of the emotional connection to what is the task? Why is this so important mm -hmm. for a person now? To, to not let go of that connection. Um, 
And then, of course, you know, to to also try to visually um, make it specific, scene by scene. I only got to see it once. I, I missed it last week, but I only saw it once. I, I saw it really early, so this is not fresh in my head. It was like about six weeks ago. But it was a few weeks before the New York Film Festival. They, But I do remember very distinctly, and the one that I remember the first time it happening was with the Ashley Judd introduction. There's also moments where you're, you're giving these things almost these tableau-like frames that start, it's not, I don't think it's for everybody, right. but there are these like big moments that seem to feel like you're giving it, they're beautiful frames, but that you're kind of giving these things like this little kind of like beat and moment and almost signaling to us in a, a portrait-like way. I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that is also a very fine line with when it comes to, you know, this this massive reality and... Um, and it was clear from the beginning with uh, the wonderful DOP Natasha Breyer, and we talked at length about these things to to find the balance of, you know, being very conscious about your frames and compositions, and but not let the filmmaking, you know, to be too dominant and to be too much um, taking too much attention. To rather trust. What was there, you know, what's what's within the story, what's within the dialogues, and to trust the actors to um, also, you know, uh, be be the boss of the rhythm, mm. and and try to let things happen almost, you know, in a theatrical way. There are a few scenes, you know, which we decided to do in a one shot to to also get the sense of, you know, real time reality being in that workplace, having these white walls behind them and, and, and you know, getting a sense of this is what this work is and at the same time, of course, capturing it in a concentrated and a beautiful way. So I would call it maybe, you know, a restraint elegancy. <laughs> Somehow this is something what we wanted to achieve but also emotionally really not squeeze it, not, not mm. over-dramatize it. And that's the thing that's so remarkable about this work, Maria, is, is that there is a restraint in this. There is a letting it breathe element to it, and yet we're motoring through. <laughs> like, it's, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking there because there's, there's an efficiency and a, a movement that you have to maintain, and yet the feeling one has when they're watching it is exactly what you described, is, this, is, is a sense of restraint, a sense of sometimes these characters are actually holding things in and you're, you're letting that feel in a breath. And so it's, it, it really is a tremendous piece of work. Um, you know, it's funny, I brought up the that beautiful frame of when, um, and it's from behind her, of when Ashley Judd is first seen. And my assumption was, not knowing anything about this, that, oh, this is we're doing this because it's going to be someone playing Ashley Judd, <laughs> and, then, and then it, was, it was a little bit of a shock to me where I was like, oh, and then it was like on the Zoom, it's like, oh, it is Ashley Judd. Um, I, I, I'm wondering. Um, we talked. You mentioned briefly um, shooting in the Times Building, which was unprecedented. Obviously, you've got Ashley Judd in this. Um, yeah. I believe that is the hotel. I think that is the hotel hallway. And I think that is Harvey's record, Weinstein's record. That yes. is the police recording. Yes. I, so there are some things here, but I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. And I think there's probably ones that I've even missed here where that sense, because there's the other side of it is what you do leave out and what you can't show. Right. But I'm wondering for that, 
that element of that and how important that was for this is to is to get some things that are instantly recognizable and tangible in the sense of almost documentary like you know feeling to it yeah the 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 audio type uh, the real audio type with uh, uh, Italian Philippine model Ambra Batilana Gutierrez right it was an asset they found right and after that they um, they started to talk to the former prosecutor, Lena Fastin. So um, I think the the decision to tell the story out of the perspective of uh, the journalists, you know, the setbacks, the successes, and allowed us to, you know, they played it. They they, they, they listened to it. They played it out to, to the editor, Rebecca Corbett. And so it is uh, justified to be, to be heard in this film. Um, the contribution of Ashley Judd is... I think an incredible, powerful mo- uh, uh, moment in the movie because, yeah, we all, you know, the, it's it's actually the very classical movie agreement, right? Mm. We are in the audience. We know Carrie Mulligan is playing Megan Dewey. It's the fictional version of it, right? It's a classical feature film, and then all of a sudden, it's it's her. It is that is almost like pulling down the fourth wall in the theater. It's surprising, maybe even irritating for a moment, which is beautiful and strong for exactly that that reality driven, truth driven story, right? Um, and then it's also incredible witnessing a person like Ashley Judd taking on performing Ashley Judd and taking her choice on how to tell the story. And we met in Berlin. She was actually the first person I met in person because she happened to be in Berlin and we had a coffee and then at the end of the meeting she said, so we're going to do this together, right? And I said, I'll she be wanted, honored. She wanted to do She wanted to do she it. She wanted to do it and on the stage at the at the premiere here in the New York Film Festival, she, she told the audience that it was an easy decision for her. And um, the film itself, I mean, all the collaborators, we, yeah, as I said, we tried to... Uh, you know, have it a multiple voices project and um, and invited a lot of people to contribute, as I said, look over the scenes, the wordings, Ashley did that as well. And then, of course, accepted their individual decision on how much to contribute. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow with her voice. That was like an so yeah. Some of the audience, so that is... That is, that Gwen- is Gwyneth Paltrow, that's, yeah. That's the phone call that she's making. But then, obviously... They're going to go see – when they go see her, that's going to be off camera. So, yeah. So, in that. yeah, yeah. So um, – The other one I got the sense was um, the woman who wrote the letter. Was that her? Did she read that? Yes, That yes. was the, the, the employee. Yes, Lauren O'Connor. Yes, Lauren O'Connor, who was also present at the premieres. Um, also the other survivors, you know, that was – I met them then in person finally in London and spent the night of the premiere with them, which, which was uh, – which did me good to finally meet them and their children. And uh, yeah, it's uh, sometimes there are these moments of still disbelief, you know, how how alive these stories are and that all these people are just around here and mm. I'm taking the task and having actors playing them, that is something really you feel this kind of responsibility and, and, and you really want to get it right and and treat it with care and respect and and at the same time you need to not be too intimidated by that right Mm -hmm. um this is probably the biggest challenge to helm the thing like that because then there's the opposite right which is when you don't have 
the the person or you don't have the, there's certain things that you probably are like okay I'm not going to have someone play this person or I'm not going to like you know you got you got when Weinstein comes to the office you got the, obviously you're coming in from behind him there's a wonderful kind of way you handle the omission when they they go to Gwyneth Paltrow's house I have to imagine those are also choices of like okay like it's okay to have the accountant played or okay to have someone that was one of the behind the scenes office workers who's a victim but there was there's choices of like we we can't substitute in movie magic some certain things, right? But clearly, clearly. Yeah, there's a whole catalog of questions and kind of policies. You, did you create rules ahead of time? Is that what you Is it yeah. kind, of, kind of like boundaries? And I was, yeah, yeah. And I did that already with unorthodox, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a, uh, you have to be clear about how to handle things, I think. And, and I think these both, projects in in a certain way relate to each other because it's the collision of the very intimate, vulnerable, private, and then the political, right? The expectation of that community and dysfunctional sex in a very young marriage. And here it's a sexual violence in, in, in a place of dependency, workplace, hierarchical structures, as we know. So yes, there is no depiction of assault. Uh, we will never see a naked woman. You don't need that for, uh, and you don't want it to tell the story. We will not see a victim in a crime scene. Um, yeah, I mean these are the basics. But then this goes down to all the all the detailed questions, right? For instance, you mentioned the tape. So we hear a conversation and we weren't planning to use it in full length. At the end, we used it in full length. Um, you see, you, you hear and your imagination is, of course, you know, a lot of movement there. Someone tries to escape and the other person kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's physical what you hear. It's, mm. it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And instead of, you know kind of illustrating it would also be easy to illustrate that or get the feeling visually mm. of that we we consciously tried the opposite right and where you land is a beautiful shot with the the kind of float i think it's flo- i think you're moving slightly backwards through the darkened yeah. hallway of the hotel it's very steady it's very steady and there's almost a sense of like this could be happening behind the doors of one of the you know it's and it it's beautiful that the, the juxtaposition of what you just described with that visual works really well. And I'm assuming that's also where you, the fact that they are working well together probably allowed you to think about leaving it in longer. But is that even something like that? Was that like did you did you try a few different things, or was that you know like that that shot? You know, I, one of those things like I don't know that you know that that's going to work until you put the two together, right? Yeah. Um, I remember uh, we had the second camera trying out something like that while we were shooting in the hotel on the upper floor. <laughs> we just go down and try this and we, and we, and we play it. I mean, yeah, you're ex- exactly right. You, we pass on a very, in a very, very slow um, speed all these closed hotel rooms, doors, and instantly you, you start imagining things and and this is, I think, what happens a lot in the movie, you know, that that we show. We have, of course, a visual image. We see a person's face talking for so long, you know, mm-hmm. the Zelda Perkins scene. It's, I'm, I'm actually, I was so delighted and I was very nervous after um, showing the, the, the director's cut after the first 10 weeks. 
because there is a dialogue scene which is almost 10 minutes mm. and you see just a person at the table and another person listening to her and um, and no one ever questioned that no one ever questioned that length because it's I mean it's kind of bold and, mm -hmm. and uh, but yes it's a fantastic actor Samantha Morton and um, you know you 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 show her you show um, Zoe Kazan, and that is also a great part of acting, which is sometimes neglected to listen to someone else. And uh, and then, of course, you create it. What 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 creates the imagery in your own imagination, right? Um, because the the, the narrative is very specific. You know, she talks very very specific about things, and just you start to imagine it. So you you work kind of with that negative space, and um, and there is a And there is a second layer of imagery, even if you don't see it, and that and that is beautiful. I think you're absolutely right. Zoe and Carrie are amazing in that sense that you can feel, they, you feel why people opened up to them, and they have that active kind of listening element uh, to it, and uh, brilliant parts there. I, but I would love to talk a little bit, and I assume this has a lot to do with the casting director uh, Francine Maisler here. The smaller roles. Mm. They're not smaller roles because when they're in the scenes, it's its them. You know, it's like it, 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 there are moments where these people are, for five minutes are our are, are whole entire attention. But that's also a, a tricky balance to move in and out of something, something like that. And she's always done these ensemble type things so beautifully. And I'm wondering, I mean, first off, all these people are just brilliant, great performances. But I'm talking globally that process of kind of doing all these small roles. If you could talk a little bit about that. And I assume uh, working with Francine was part of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I haven't met Francine in person until today. It's incredible. Really? We had so many conversations and it was uh, sometimes Didi took part. And because Didi, you know, she had met uh, the survivors, for instance, um, Yeah, we had great conversations. And of course, you know, the moment there are real persons out there, then you talk about, you know, is it resemblance or is it, you know, an inner, what do I, what, what is it about this person? You know, what, this is very interesting. And I probably spent most of my time watching actors work and Francine would come up with, so many options for every part and every option was just the f most fantastic actors. And then, of course, there were a lot of actors I wouldn't know because I'm from Berlin. And, <laughs> and so I discovered, I discovered people. And yes, I'm, I have to say I'm, I'm so happy with every <laughs> appearance. And, you know, coming into a movie like that and only having one scene, for instance, Roxana, who plays the... Um, the ex-assistant in Queens who surprisingly, you know, who's who's so almost re-traumatized mm -hmm. by, by Megan Tui's visit at her door. It's an amazing moment, and it's just one scene. And I met Jennifer Ely the other day in the hotel, and I, she said, well, I only had two days at your set, and I can't believe it because she has such an impact. Such a presence in this yeah. throughout, throughout. Although that is one of the bigger, that is one of the bigger, Supporting roles, but yeah, that's amazing. Only two, two days, days of yeah. shooting, right? And you feel her throughout, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this is the, this is the big part of a director's work, I think, to, to really spend enough time to be very conscious about who you want to invite to, to collaborate in front of the camera and behind, right? What the one, the one that stuck out, 
my wife and I've watched. Um, I feel like probably every season of The Good Wife and The Good Fight, and that 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 I'm blanking on the actor's name, but he plays the accountant. Oh, um, Zach Grenier. Uh, oh my, that yeah. It's funny. It's it's it, it's something. There's something that that guy has always had. That actor has always had as a presence, and to see it, to see some element of that, and to see him eaten up in just that moment he flips. It's as someone I've just seen hours and hours and hours of him. To see him have that moment was just was just yeah. unreal. He's phenomenal. Also, Peter Friedman as Lenny yeah. Davis. It's yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. Um, you brought it up a couple times, and I should orientate the uh, listener. If you you haven't seen it, uh, Maria directed. It's a four-part Netflix series on Orthodox, which was phenomenal. And you brought it up a couple times. And there are – I mean, it's a totally different story. Um, but I am curious, though, um, my guess is that when, you know, Dee Dee saw that and instantly started thinking about this project and one of the reasons – but I'm wondering what you did take from that experience that might have – I mean, obviously, everything you make, you get better. But I'm wondering specifically some of the experiences that you had from an unorthodox that that prepped you for for this film. Mm. Yeah, it's probably the the intimacy, the um, the blank connection to um, an emotional world. I think part of my work is. Um, encourage encourage actors to go further a bit to um, to feel safe in you know taking risks and um, um, rising stakes and it's what I love it's uh, I'm an actor as you might know I um, I think it's where I feel quite self-confident in the in the dialogue with actors and in not being afraid of actors mm-hmm. and and I think this this intimate conversation about even on set even though we we had rehearsed in unorthodox and also on this one you know I that's very important to have these two weeks prior and and talk everything through and 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 read the lines and hear everyone's perspective. And But then even on set, and specifically on set, creating this space where it's almost it's almost like a like a yeah, it's it's something very intimate between me and and, and the actor. Um, I'm not sure it's uh, it's hard to put in words, but this is where it happens, I think. It's interesting the parallel too because in in both stories, um, you're talking about the actor taking risks and putting. In, 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 in a lot of cases, the act, actresses in both of these projects are doing that in scenes. You know, the characters are having to take risks and trust. And you can there's a there's an incredible parallel there in, in terms of what what you're capturing with them. Um, I wanted to also you know. Obviously, this investigation was very hard. We knew that story going in about how hard it was to report this story. And so there is that narrative drive of, um, you know, getting at the story and how difficult it is in a typical story type way. This is a tough, tough goal to hit. Very curious, though, there's an element of how you can position the audience in relationship to, to that challenge. And what was very interesting to me and I think the thing that resonated with me very much was um, – where I am in relationship to this and this feeling of 
of, for me, it was a sense of, of I felt, and I think this was intentional, of a, a dread within Zoe and Carrie's characters of if we can't tell this story. Yeah. And it feels like to me that that's something that might be baked into this, but it feels like something that you were very conscious of, of, of that sense of like them becoming emotionally involved, which obviously they're going to become emotionally involved. I mean, you can throw the objective, <laughs> objective journalism doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're not, you turn off that human switch. But I mean, that feels to me, and I don't know, maybe that was just me carrying into it, but it feels like a very conscious choice of that sense of, especially in the second half of that film, a, a sense of absolute dread that this might be something that they have to carry themselves yeah. and, not, and not release out into the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though a lot of people say, yes, of course, this is also in a tradition of, you know, classical, uh, in this genre, right, classical journal journalistic investigation thriller. It's, I worship most that it's not only that, right? And if it's compared with all the president's men and people do that, of course, and there are a lot of similarities like two journalists teaming up together and uh, knocking on people's doors and finding out much more about system, systematic crimes. In the heart of it, there is a huge difference, I think, because Woodward and Bernstein, for instance, you know, they investigate uh, uh, political corruption. And, um, and the subject matter of what Jody and Megan are dealing with is just so inescapably personal. And I think that responsibility I was talking about as a filmmaker in the, in the beginning of our talk is what constantly haunted them too, you know, to, 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 to have gained the trust of a very few individual people who who allowed them to hear the most traumatized moment of their lives and then and then maybe not being able to to do something with it and not fulfilling that trust they put in you and at the same time you know not even be able to escape from it themselves because this subject matter is just It goes beyond, you know, the workplace of Hollywood or this particular person. We all carry these kind of stories um, with us, being, you know, brought up and educated and be working in very male-dominated, hierarchical, societal systems. And that's why I, we all, I think, decided to... to not have an approach of, you know, these are the bigger-than-life heroes. It's already a sensational that we have two female journalists doing this and succeeding with this. And there's a lot of heroic aspects in this and also from the women who shared their stories. But at the same time, seeing these doubts and accompanying them at home and looking at their newborn daughter's face and, of course, asking this question, what is this world? And that is a big difference. They couldn't leave this issue back home, uh, back in the newsroom and then go home. It was, it's just, yeah, it's it's something about womanhood. It's a, there, there are broader questions in this, I think, which probably resonate in, um, in, in the people who watch also from other places in the world. It's one of the things, and you could see it right, 
and I, I'm really anxious to see this one again, but I, I, even just from one viewing, I do remember this. The anchoring and the, the, the work that goes into the pre-story here, but being the, pre, the pre-investigation is so important. And in feeling that, and you know, if we don't feel what Megan went through in reporting that Trump story and what happened with, with that one victim – it, 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 that that hangs over all of this, and then what you and Carrie do in terms of her performance and how you know where she is mentally with this, that you feel you feel that in boiling up inside her character throughout throughout all of this, and it's in the back of our head throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, we get close to these characters. We get close to Carrie's character, right? She's hit by depression in a very unexpected moment, and uh, and to have you know these characters so accessible is such a I think it's such a wonderful possibility uh, not not oversizing them and no they're riding the subway you know they're they're also late for the appointments they're they're stressed and still we, we understand what they accomplish that was important I think for all of us to to have to have this normality of life and struggle and um, and the, this interruption into their normality. Yeah, yeah. You feel exactly. it's in very small details, but you feel um, the struggle that they have. You yeah. know, just even little pieces. I mean, they still have they, they have wonderful families, and it looks like they have you know their young families, and right. it's not like. But you do feel this sense of um, of of how they can't. This isn't this. They don't turn it off at six o'clock at night and go home. It's like they're they're living with exactly. This. And I mean, this one scene, and there are not that many of those when they do have um, a dialogue about where they are and and their fears about it. Right? Um, it's an enormous thought, actually, which uh, Megan comes up with. Then you know, to having endured this postpartum depression after giving birth to her daughter, and then all of a sudden, you know, posing this question to Jody and saying maybe. It's it is not only, you know, my individual, you know, failure, how you feel. You know, I don't – maybe there is something, you know, maybe, maybe there is something bigger about it, you know, being mm. domesticized. Maybe there is something, you know, anchored in society, which uh, – which, I mean, there are so many – yeah – I mean, there are a lot of voices in there, but there's also a lot of topics in the movie. <laughs> it's, just, it's complex. But but the thing is, is though, that's a really hard thing to do because you could throw all that intellectually. You could throw all that stuff in to make it feel in a movie like it all is ingrained and feels organic to it. It's very hard and not to feel because you can. We've all seen movies like that where all these ideas are there and you understand the connection, but it's not. You know, it doesn't feel. It doesn't play out dramatically. Um, wanted to. Two last things here, but one, one of these things that we're talking about, and what what moving through all these scenes and what these two women are carrying with them as as they're doing this, it feels to me like, and I'm sure most of your work was before this, but it feels to me like a magic ingredient here in in, in pushing this over was the work that Nicholas Bertel did here and kind of connecting a little bit. There's a, there's something here that with the the score is kind of uh, musically carrying over in in this, you know. There's a, I don't I hate using the word simple, but there's something very restrained and 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 limited in terms of even what he's doing in terms of like the way it's connecting. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about that. Yeah, the word restraint is 
quite a new word for me. I learned it. <laughs> it seems um, it seems the right word for quite a few aspects in this movie, and at the same time. It's almost contradictious because people come out of this movie so emotional. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe there is a connection, you know, to to not push things. And well, I, I tell you, what, I tell you what, for me, there's such a release. To be honest, there was a thing here where um, when Zoe has that last phone call with Ashley Judd, and there's that big, you know, and she breaks down and I broke down. But there was a thing here. Not only not only did I cry, but there was a thing where there was a release. Right. I felt this yeah. release. I yeah. felt the release that Jody and Megan must have right. felt at that moment. Um, but it, there is a thing here where it does feel like I'm holding things inside while I'm watching right. your movie and then finally letting them go. To yeah, in our initial conversation, um, Nicholas and I, I, you know, it was a very conscious decision how to how to treat the music when it when the movie starts, right? And I thought about uh, Le Mepri. You know, I thought about having an overall theme for it and not having the music following, you know, the uh, momentarily actions, not to illustrate scenes, but, you know, even a little bit like he does, of course, you know, with, with the theme we all love in succession, to yeah. have something <laughs> above all that. And... And also uh, widen widen the whole narrative with that. With Nick, though, it also felt like the cello in his work with Caitlin here was a big part of that too, right? Yeah, Just yeah. Like, he had a very precise idea about uh, about um, having che- uh, being the cello being the lead voice, and I think it um, it's beautiful, and I. You know, it, we talked at length about it. If we have the same musical theme for the opening of the movie, um, which, which is of course, you know, the flashback and Laura in this, in this moment of falling in love with the workplace, right? <laughs> Stumbling. This is, this is actually my last question, so I might as well tie it in. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the choice of the first scene and the last scene, so we might as well build that in. You know? <laughs> in so we start with a musical theme, and that musical theme is then also, you know, a theme for Megan and Jody. And I think this bridge is is an unconscious, you know, connection. But even though there are decades between, and and and, yeah, forgive my English. I have very limited words, but at the end, broadens the, the theme, yeah, the the narrative. You know, that it's not about only the specific research. But it's about connection, about womanhood, a connection, you know, throughout continents and throughout decades. It's a, it's a one. I, I'm guessing it was a kind of baked into this from the start that this is where you would end. But it's, it, it feels like such a, the publishing of it, right? And, and <laughs> because it's like, I guess one of the things here that you can play into is, is that the effect of what they did, you know, that's the part you, you know, you, we all lived in the aftermath of right, this right. and it feels like it seems it seems like it was just kind of maybe it was it seemed like a brilliant choice but maybe it was a no-brainer also like where you were gonna it it is just it was in the script i've read you know it was a decision i think it's 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 been dd who said our story ends when they push publish of course because the rest is history but to have a film ending 
in that kind of stillness and seeing all these people rereading all these words. And I remember Rebecca Kovic telling me in these last nights, what we did was weighing and reweighing words. It's, it's, it's about language, right? And at the same time, I thought there is, a, there is something very related to what I did because in the editing this is what you what, what we do right we weighing and reweighing frames and pauses and glances and hesitations and a smile and not longer but shorter to you know have it equivalently seamless how you connect to the characters but ending in this stillness and this kind of concentration um, it seems to work people love the ending and I think yeah it's 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 an accurate portrait of what journalists do. <laughs> well, congratulations on this. It was, it's really a this. I I I don't know why I just feared this movie, and it was I not feared it not because I'm a male working in New York film industry. I feared like all the ways that this story could go wrong, and it's just each choice you made was resonated so much, and it. it, 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 it Continually surprised me in its subtlety and its beauty, and it's it's really a remarkable piece of work. Um, and so, congratulations on it. Thank you very much. 